0: morning devotions and thank you again so much for our time together. I'm Pastor Summerall, the pastor of the Cathedral of Praise, and it is a privilege to sit down with you in your homes and read the Word and pray together and worship together. We're starting another week. We had just had a great weekend just driving services, but we still had services. We may not have been in the house of the Lord, but as one of the members told Sister Bev, I'm in the parking lot of the Lord. (laughs) Okay, we're in the parking lot of the Lord, but we're grateful for that. Brothers and sisters, thank you for your faithfulness to God, and thank you for being here this morning. I want us to start today by Psalms chapter 91. You say, Pastor, your voice, well, you know, when you've been preaching on the crusade truck kind of open-air preaching all weekend to, to cars, this is what your voice sounds like. Psalms 91, beginning with verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty, A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on lion and adder, the young lion and serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him, because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. One of the things that taught us all this weekend was the belt of truth, the belt of reality. And part of that thought is the reality of God's word. Not Facebook slogan statements, but when you stand in the field of battle, the battle of temptation like Jesus did in Matthew 4, Jesus didn't quote Facebook slogans. Jesus didn't quote a rabbi. And neither can you quote Facebook slogans. And neither can you quote a pastor or a theology. When Satan stood before him, he quoted the word. In fact, he quoted Psalms 91 to Jesus. But Jesus didn't have an unreal understanding of the word. He had reality. He understood the word. And he said, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So, you know what? People can say... If you have faith, you don't wear a face mask. Well, you know what? I have faith, and I also have good sense. I will not put the Lord my God to the test. I challenge you. Do what the government has asked us to do. Get those face masks on. Keep yourself safe. I mean, if you were about to walk through a door, and I told you there's a guy on the other side of the door who's going to hit you in the head with a two-by-four, make sure you duck as you walk through. Would you duck as you walk through? Yes! Well, Put the face mask on. Don't let Satan hit you upside the head because you're trying to be spiritual. Don't put the Lord, your God, to the test. Okay, sermon number one finished. Now, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship. As we open up our hearts in prayer this morning, I want us to pray for wisdom and a lack of fear. This this fear thing is just be, between the fear and the presumption. You know, you can just shake your head at what's going on around us. You've got some people so afraid that that they won't, you know, take their head out of their pillow, and then you've got other people telling people take your face mask off if you have faith. You know brothers and sisters we need some good sense you know god did put a brain in between our ears and he expects us to use it i want us to pray for god's people to have some good sense we have nothing to be afraid of god is with us but neither should we be presumptuous those of you in the front lines yes you walk in faith but you put your ppes on now if god told you to do something different fine Okay, then then there's a John G. Lake situation, all right? And I've told you about that in the past. But unless God speaks to you to do something different, don't put the Lord your God to the test. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I lift you all of your sons and your daughters. Father, sometimes we feel like ping pong balls being bounced around between the words of people, bounced around between the emotions that just flow right now through society like giant waves. Father, I pray for all of your people. We want to walk in faith. Jesus, we know when you come to this earth, you're you're, you're looking to see whether you will find faith. We have faith in you, Lord. But Father, give your people wisdom. Give your people prudence. Give your people good sense. Father, let us be a people who walk in prudent faith. Father, in the name of Jesus, show us how to live our lives, how to go to work, how to earn the money that we need to earn, how to sell what we need to sell, how to do the things that we need to do to to bless our families and to, to see prosperity flow and food on our tables and the tuition fees paid. But also, Father, give us the wisdom to do it with good sense, taking care of our families and taking care of our futures. Father, I pray for every father out there, Young people don't want to lose their dads. Wives don't want to lose their husbands. Give them good sense, Father, in Jesus' name. And for for the young people. But young people think they're indestructible. But, Father, they bring home things to the seniors. Father, give us a spirit of good sense. Lord, just let good sense and prudence come upon your people. Not fear, but good sense. And, Father, I pray again for the frontliners today. I pray for their souls, Lord. I don't just pray, Father, for their physical welfare. I pray for their emotions. They're seeing things that are hard to see. They're experiencing things that would make them cry themselves to sleep every night. And the feelings of helplessness. Father, I ask that you strengthen them in their inner being. Lord, just as you promised, strengthen them in their inner being. Lord, let there be strength within their soul. I thank you for it, Father. And Lord, for all of our people that are working so hard just to put food on the table. Lord, they're selling, they're cooking, they're delivering. Father, life is very, very hard work Night now. Give them strength in their physical bodies. And let the favor of God and favor of man rest upon them. That Lord, the selling is not a hard thing. That they sell out every single day. And Father, they have an abundance left over for every good work. Father, that they don't fear the bills because you have provided. We thank you for blessing the work of their hands, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. In just a minute, we want to turn to First Corinthians chapter one, verse one. That's First Corinthians chapter one, verse one. And you know this is going to be a really hard passage not to to preach my way through because. Forgive me, <laughs> we have been preaching our way through it. So we will try to be disciplined and just devotionally read this and not bring out all the Greek and not bring out everything that there is to bring out. But as we do devotions together, let me encourage you to get out a notebook, get your Bible out, and let's study together in Jesus' name. All right, let's get into First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. All right, so this is the message of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing. But to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. So same truth, different people. Different audience. Now, again, you have to understand, you can preach the same message to different audiences and get a completely different response. You preach the message of the cross to to believers, and it's the power of God of salvation. You preach the message of the cross to people who are are in sin, and they they think it's foolishness. Now, again, just get the truth. The same message hits different people different way because of their spiritual condition. So their spiritual condition is going to affect their attitude toward a message. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? So Paul is taking on the culture. Paul is not adapting to the culture. He is not engaging the culture. He's, forgive me, attacking the culture. The culture of philosophy and philosophical debate. Paul just says, listen, I'm going to get in your face here. He said, where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? I got news for you folks. I don't care how wise something looks. Compared to God, it's foolish. For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. All right. It pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. All right, so... The path to God is not wisdom. The path to God is not wisdom, it's not knowledge, okay? The path to God is through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe the gospel. People say, well, how do you get people saved? You don't stand up with worldly wisdom. Well, One of the things I'm constantly challenging young pastors about is Would you quit looking up things on Google and start reading your Bible. I, I mean, please, you, you listen to the world's wisdom. You, you listen to a sermon from a pastor who quotes one verse, and then after that, it's quoting all of the famous people of the world today. And you know what? Everybody Facebooks the quotes and everything. But that is not going to bring a person to God they're not going to get to know God. They're going to get to know God through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. All right, Jews demand a miracle. He said that's, that's their culture. Greeks seek wisdom. That's their culture. And Paul said, we do neither. We respond to neither. He said, This this is what they demand, this is what they seek, but this is not the path. But we, he said, this, this is what we do. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness or folly to the Gentiles. Okay? Jesus, of course, has always been a stumbling block. This was the stumbling block that they stumbled over. We preach Christ crucified. Okay? The message of the cross comes back up here, the message of the cross. You don't just preach, you know, Jesus was a nice person. Jesus was a good prophet. You preach what he went through for us. The message of the cross is that's how the punishment of our sins was taken care of. So again, so again, sometimes people, they want to tell people all the wonderful stories about who Jesus is. They want to tell people all the beautiful truths about the historical Jesus. But they don't want to talk about the cross. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. He said, all right, so these signs are taken care of here. The wisdom is taken care of here. But you find it all in Christ. So let's stick on message. Just preach Christ. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were at no, noble birth. All right, So he, Paul said, hey, the church was not an elite church. Now, I, I know in this world of homo churches, you know, Paul would say, hey, you know, we, we should get these few people that are elite and put them in a special church. He said, no, no, no. He said, the, you're, the church is hollow-hollow, and the best way to understand church is hollow-hollow. It's all mixed up. But God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. Now, forgive me, This is one of the beautiful things about God. God takes people that, you know what, don't look like much. And they change the world. Now some of you are listening to me right now, and you may not look like much. And you may not be super educated. You know what, neither were the apostles. And in one generation, they changed the world. What can you do? God chose what was low and what was despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, again, God overrules meritocracy. Now, this meritocracy thing, this is a foundation stone of of Roman Greek culture. Under meritocracy, anybody can become anything. It's very different than the nobility structure or the aristocratic structure. You are born an aristocrat. You are born into nobility. But you know, under meritocracy, anybody can become anything if you work hard. It's your life advances by merit. And and these people were very much into meritocracy. And really, this meritocracy is part of the foundation stone of, of Philippine culture. The people who are poor can become somebody through education and through hard work. But he said, listen, you know, you're gonna have to understand meritocracy is, is is not relevant to God. God can choose what is low and what is despised in the world. And he said he can bring those things to nothing that, that are big shots. He said, you're going to have to understand meritocracy is not how you got saved and meritocracy is not why God uses you. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He said, you know, under meritocracy, you can boast I'm a self-made man. But under grace, you cannot boast that you're a self-made man. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness, sanctification and redemption. I like that. Christ Jesus is our wisdom. Christ Jesus is our righteousness. Christ Jesus is our sanctification. And Christ Jesus is our redemption. Therefore, it is written, "Let no one who boasts Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know what? It's all by grace. If you've got anything good in your life, it's because God gave it to you. If you've accomplished anything great in your life, it's because God enabled you. So let's not call attention to ourselves and start writing books and telling everybody, look at the 10 steps I used to become who I am, okay? You know, sometimes, and and please forgive me, businessmen, but Sometimes I get frustrated because sometimes you see a businessman who at one point in his life was a really good person. But then he became arrogant and proud with that money and that prosperity. And then he begins to run around and says, let me tell you what I've accomplished. And you know what? I don't know want to hear what you've accomplished. Because forgive me, businessman, you didn't accomplish anything. God is the one who did this through you. Get over meritocracy and get into I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm a grace-made man. I'm a grace-made woman. All right, take it down to chapter 2 now, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, did I come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom? (laughs) He said, I did not compete per culture. He said, I did not compete in your cultural way. I didn't come to, you know, Pastor Jamie was talking to me the other day. He said, you know, Pastor, some preachers in some churches, they're like, everything about them is like a slick PowerPoint presentation. Everything about them is well-crafted and laid out. And he said, you know what? I'm not like that. His <laughs> brothers and sisters, that would have been the Apostle Paul. He would look around and go, I'm not a PowerPoint presentation. I'm not a slick marketed presentation. He said, I didn't come to you, proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, here is what I would call a learning experience of Paul. Do you remember when Paul was in Athens? He didn't stay very long. And he really didn't accomplish much. I mean, when you think of the fruit of his ministry there, it wasn't much. But this was Paul's first time really in this this center of philosophy. And he started debating with the philosophers in the the marketplace. And then later, taking to their their agropolis and their their great debating stage. And the greatest minds in Athens stood there to listen to him. And he began to quote their philosophers and things. You notice Paul never did that again? I mean, it's, it's fascinating to me to see, you know, that Paul had to learn just like we had to learn. You never see Paul doing that again, but instead you see him when he gets to Corinth, which is his next stop, he said, I decided, I made a decision. This incredibly educated man who understood all the Greek philosophies, he, he would have been educated in this as a young man. He said, I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, he doesn't come right out and tell us he made a mistake when he was in Athens, but he he shows us that he learned and he made a different decision. When he he came now to Corinth, just, you know, a day and a half or so walk from Athens, when he came there, which was the great city in that area, he said, you know what, I'm not going to do what I did in Athens. I'm not going to sit there and debate with these philosophers, and I'm not going to quote their philosophers to them. I've made a decision to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Sometimes if you're a young pastor, sometimes you need to put your theology books away. I often tell young pastors, all right, you got your degree. Now put your theology books away and get out your Bible and get to know Jesus. Not what people say about Jesus, but what he says about himself. And then make a decision. When I stand before the people of God, I'm not going to wow them with my lofty speech and my great knowledge and quoting this theologian and that theologian. I'm going to make a decision to do nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And my message and my speech were not with plausible words of wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and power. There you go. Miracles. That your faith might not rest on the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Your faith needs to be focused into something it cannot sit on top of man's wisdom because please forgive me you're going to hear a better speaker come by who's going to say something different and mix you up your faith needs to be in the power of god all right let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship
1: brought me from the life of emptiness i live without god's son my heart cries hallelujah because the savior rescued me without his precious lover would i be Where I come from I'm now being made into the likeness of God's Son I have this blessed assurance Since the Savior rescued me Without His precious love where would I be me out of darkness into this marvelous light, and placed me on the solid rock to stay, and now I'm walking with my Savior, and I'm fighting a goodbye, because of Jesus I can truly say,
2: forever longing to be free if it had not been for the goodness of the Lord
1: Turn my world around.
0: Testament passage today picks up in Job chapter 4. Now remember, God has talked about Job and said, this is a blameless man in all his ways. Satan kept wanting to challenge Job and wanted to say, I'm going to do this, telling God to do this or that to Job. And God just said, he's in your hands. God is never the one who brings the pain. That's always the devil. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, if one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Yet, who can keep from speaking? Wow. Now, when Job's friends begin to speak, these aren't really his friends. Okay, these with friends like this, you don't need much of a demon around you. All right. I want you, as we begin to go through this, to see how people can hurt you when you're down. How people will come by, and you know what? Maybe their motives are. Maybe their their motives are good but their head's all wrong. I don't know. But sometimes they say the cruelest things to you when you're really hurting. And listen to how Eliphaz opens. If one ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? Immediately, he's, he's, immediately he shows a bad attitude. You know, a friend comes by and says, can I talk to you for just a minute? But immediately he's on the attack. So the bad attitude is shown by instant attack. Now when people walk up to you and they say they're here to help you, and the first sentence out of their mouth shows attack, you know what, just get ready because here it comes. Now they may go tell everybody else they came there to help you, but when their first words are attack, you need to realize these people are not your friends. Yet who can keep from speaking? Behold, you have instructed many. You have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who's stumbling. And you have made firm the feeble knees. But now it has come to you. Ah. Your turn. Now this is not God speaking to them. This, this This is the world challenging Job, kicking him when he's down. And one of the things I teach people, is when people kick you when you're down, forgive them later, but don't let them close to you again in your life. Forgive them. Pray for them. But don't let these people close to you in your life. They're not friends. But now it has come to you, and you are impatient. It touches you, and you are dismayed. In other words, more attack. More condemnation. Is not your fear of God your confidence and integrity of your ways, your hope? Wow, sarcasm. Is not your fear of God your confidence? You've told us all of this, now live it. Your integrity of your ways, your hope? (laughs) Remember, who that was innocent ever perished? Or where were the upright cut off? Okay, this is false. Because you know what? Sometimes we do see the innocent perish. I mean, please forgive me, sometimes <laughs> sometimes good people suffer. But here's, here's a religious attack of condemnation. As I have seen, those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Okay, here's the accusation. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roar of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, the teeth of the young lions are broken. The strong lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Now a word was brought to me, a word was brought to me stealthily, and my ear received the whisper of it. Amid thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleep falls upon men, dread came upon me, and trembling which made all my bones shake. A spirit, now there, now there you begin to get the source of this man's inspiration. A spirit glided past my face, and the hair of my flesh stood up. Now you can clearly see here, this is not God speaking. Look at that. Dread, trembling, a spirit glided past my face. The hair of my flesh stood up. It stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice Can mortal man be right before God? Can a man be pure before his maker? <laughs> yes. Yes, they can. By faith. Now, Job, God said Job is blameless. God testified about Job. Now, here comes the accuser of the brethren. Even in his servants he puts no trust, and his angels he charges with error. Now, that's true. His servants he puts no trust, that's false. God trusts his people, and his angels he charges with error. Who is this? Who? is this talking this is the devil he had been charged with error how much more those who dwell in houses of clay that's the human body whose foundation is in the dust that's the human being who are crushed like the moth so he said listen men are not as good as angels See, Satan never got over that man was given authority over the earth and not him. (laughs) Satan never got over that man was created in the image of God and not him. So look at him putting down man. This is the devil talking. Between morning and evening, they are beaten to pieces and they perish forever without anybody regarding it. Yeah, that's the devil. Is not their tent cord plucked up with them? They do not die. That are without wisdom. Now, brothers and sisters, do you begin to understand who is inspiring Eliphaz to speak? Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? To which of the holy ones will you turn? Surely vexation kills fools, and jealousy slays the simple. I have seen a fool taking root, but suddenly I cursed his his dwelling. His children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate, and there is no one to deliver them. The hungry eat his harvest, and he even takes it out with thorns, and the thirsty pant after his wealth. For affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. But man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. (laughs) This is what the devil says. This is the devil's view of man. As for me, I would seek God, and to God I would commit my cause. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? He gives rain on the earth and sends water in the fields. He sets on high those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands achieve no success. He catches the wise in their own craftiness and the schemes of the wily are brought to quick end. They meet in darkness in the daytime and grope at noonday as at night. He saves the needy from the sword of their mouth and from the hand of the mighty. So the poor have hope, and injustice shuts her mouth. Behold, blessed is the one whom God reproves. Therefore, despise not the discipline of the Lord. Okay, so he's been inspired by the devil, and now (laughs) religion talks about God. Now, he says some good things in here, but he also says some wrong things in here. And again, here is the attack or the accusation. Job, you're being reproved by God. You're being disciplined by God. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was being attacked by the devil. You see, folks, sometimes bad things happen to good people, not because you've you've sown it, but because there's just an ugly devil out there attacking you. For he wounds, but he binds up. He shatters, but his hands heal. Uh, Excuse me, no. God did not do this. Read chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. Read them and see. God said, Satan, he's in your hands. He will deliver you from six troubles. In seven, no evil shall touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death, and in war, the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the lash of the tongue, and shall not fear destruction when it comes. At destruction and famine you shall laugh, and shall not fear the beasts of the field. For you shall be in league with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field shall be at peace with you. You shall know that your tent is in peace, and you shall inspect your fold and miss nothing. You shall also know that your offspring shall be many, and your descendants as the grass of the earth. You shall come to your grave in a ripe old age, like a sheaf gathered in a season. Behold, this we have searched out, it is true. Hear and know for your good. Okay, he said, we know this. Now, he says some good things about God, but he's full of condemnation. There is no grace in this man's speech at all. There is no comprehension of salvation by faith in this man's speech at all. So he says some good things about God, and just like all accusation and deception, there's there's truth in it, and then there's falsehood. Now, Job answers. So Job has to get some words in here now. This guy has come and really attacked him. Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my vexation were weighed and all my calamity laid in the balances. For then it would be heavier than the sand of the sea. Therefore my words have been rash. He said, You know what? Some of my words, not good. And you know what? Sometimes in the hard times, sometimes our words are not good. Okay, please. Sometimes our words, when we're really hurting, our words are rash. And we just need to admit that and ask God's forgiveness. For the errors of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks their poisons, and the terrors of God are arrayed against me. Job is wrong about God. God was not doing this to him. Satan was. But you see, when you've got all of your friends telling you this is God, it's kind of hard to overcome that. Does the wild donkey bray when he eats grass, or the ox low over his fodder? Can that which is tasteless be eaten without salt? Or is there any taste in the juice of the mallow? My appetite refuses to touch them. They are as food that is loathsome to me. Oh, that I might have my request and that God would fulfill my hope, that it would please God to crush me, that he would let loose his hand and cut me off. This would be my comfort. I would even exult in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. He said, God, just kill me. Forgive me, these are more rash words. Sometimes you, you think that God is bringing the pain on you, and you... You say horrible things against God, What is my strength that I should wait, and what is my end that I should be patient? Is my strength the strength of stones, or my flesh bronze? Have I any help in me? What, what resource is driven from me? He who withholds kindness from a friend forsakes the fear of the Almighty now, this is now this is job Job's attitude toward the friends, and I use that word friends in quotation mark. My brothers, these guys talking to me, are as treacherous as a torrent bed, as torrential rains that streams that pass away, which are dark with ice and where the snow hides itself. When they melt and disappear, when it is hot, they vanish from their place. The caravans turn aside from their course, and they go up into the waste and perish. The caravans of Timaluk and the travelers of Sheba Hope. They are ashamed because they were confident. They come there and are disappointed. For now you have become nothing. You see my calamity and are afraid. Okay? How people's trouble affects us. He said, you know, these friends of mine, they've seen my calamity and they're afraid. Have I said make me a gift or from your wealth offer a bribe for me or deliver me from my adversary's hand or redeem me from the hand of the ruthless? He said, listen, I ask nothing. He said, I ask nothing from you. Teach me and I will be silent. Make me understand how I've gone astray. He said, all right, you attack, you accuse. Facts, please. He said, I- I'm not going to just sit here and roll over and act like I've been living a sinful life when I haven't. Now, again, this is something you have to learn sometimes. Sometimes when you've done what's right and the devil's just tearing you up because he's the devil and people come along and Christians come along and all they can do is put you down and you know you didn't do anything wrong, don't start allowing the guilt trip to come into your life. He said, you know, make me understand how I've gone astray. Okay, If I've done wrong, you t- you show it to me. But he said, facts, please. How forceful are upright words, but what does re- what-but what does reproof from you reprove? <laughs> he said there's no there's nothing there. Do you think you can reprove weird words when the speech of a despairing man is wind? You would even cast lots over the fatherless and bargain over your friend, but now be pleased to look at me, for I will not lie to your face, please turn, let no injustice be done. Turn now, my vindication is at stake." Is there any injustice in my tongue? Cannot my palate discern the cause of calamity? He said, cannot my, the palate of my, the roof of my mouth discern my calamity? He said, listen, I've taken a look at my life. There's nothing wrong. Leave me alone, okay? Now, you're beginning to see Job in a very different way than sometimes you've seen it. You have to learn to read things properly. Thank you for being with us today. We'll see you tonight at seven o'clock.